they were like, oh, we really love this book about friendship. It's a great topic, great idea, but we don't, we might want to change the title so that loneliness is in the, in the title. And I was like, well, you know, it's really important that loneliness is in the title. Like that's what I'm experiencing, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing. And they were like, well, people don't want to admit that they're lonely. No one wants to buy a book that says loneliness because they're going to be like, well, that means I'm lonely. And I said, well, I am lonely. That's why I wrote the book. Right. And so are two thirds of Americans, right? That's data from 2019. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help professionals navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search in order to stress less and earn more in their careers. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Adam Smiley-Pawalski to the podcast. Smiley is an author, speaker, millennial workplace expert, and author of Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. Interestingly, my partner Liz was featured in his first book, The Quarter Life Breakthrough, years back before we even started dating, and our past guest Dev, the author of 50 Ways to Get a Job, is featured in his new book, where they talk about building real-life connections and, and all sorts of other great stuff. So definitely check out our previous episode with Dev, and when you get a chance, pick up Smiley's new book to hear Dev's amazing story in there as well. In our conversation today, we talk about loneliness at work, how to build meaningful connections, and what realistic expectations we should set for ourselves and others in terms of bonding in our careers and in our personal life. If you like what we're building here, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us spread these messages to other job seekers in need. And be sure to grab a copy of Smiley's new book and follow him online in the links below. That's all for the intro today. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Smiley. You know, I was listening to your book and I was going through my notes for today. It's just so funny how small the world is, man. Like, uh, I know Caesar connected us, but um, how my partner Liz is in your first book, <laughs> like, so small world. And then also how like uh, you were talking about Dev in the book and uh, Dev uh, was on yeah. the podcast nice about like a year ago he's one of my favorite guests um i love the stuff that he's doing so it's just so funny how he's small so the cool. world is yeah he really is <laughs> my favorite people because like dev's like an example of this or just like they he's just doing his thing mm -hmm. you know like he's just not really like building a brand or kind of you know like building an empire you know what i mean like yeah there's some people that are kind of in this space or this space or just like that are in that are everything is all about growth or scale or kind of maximizing some sort of like reach and influence and dev just does projects that are cool <laughs> that he's into and doesn't really give a and i just love that i'm so inspired by that yeah and like you don't even you can't even find a lot of what he's doing right like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like that's it's like and that's that's one of the things i want to chat with you about today is like you know dev would be a person i'd want to stay in touch with more but he's not so active on social right so it's like it's one of those interesting things where like uh, you know listening to your book and hearing your fun exercises and everything like that i can't wait to dig into our discussion here but um there's just so much to that and i think you know i i heard your kind of internal you know should i build a you know an instagram following or should i do the speaker circuit and all those different things and it's just like 
yeah, these are the questions as you kind of go down these paths. It's like, what kinds of, what kind of a world do I want to build around myself? So I'm super, super excited to chat today, but yeah, it's, it's super cool. Like, and, and especially how small the world is, like how you've popped up so many times in the orbit. I'm like, yes, I finally get to chat with you. So I appreciate you taking That's the time. That's awesome. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So for the combo Liz's today, career, I'm sorry, sorry, oh, to, sorry no, to jump. Liz, I'm so inspired by Liz, like, cause I remember when she was just starting out and like her work's amazing and it looks like it's getting a lot of love and recognition. She's, you know, it's just, it's so beautiful she's to see that, you know? It. Yeah. She's crushing it, man. She's currently <laughs> painting a mural in Pilsen right now. Um, so oh. just like really cool. And she's, it's also funny with the social media stuff. Cause she's like, people are coming by and like taking photos and stuff, but there's, it's like for a big brand and she can't share anything. So she's like going crazy, but it's like so fun. Like she's running into like dozens of people. Apparently everyone lives in Pilsen. So she's like catching up with like dozens of artists who keep popping by and yeah, it's, it's super fun. Well, you know, as we kind of just let it gradually go into the podcast here, there's no like hard start or anything. Um, the one thing that, you know, really stands out to me uh, as, as we're thinking about this idea of loneliness, um, especially in the workplace, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are around um, identity when it comes to our mm. work. Because I feel like when someone loses a job and so many people went through a big career transition over the pandemic, it wasn't just the isolation, it was the isolation and the loss of their identity or their friend group. Um, I was recently talking to a therapist and they were saying like, um, you know, you lose, you, you go through, or actually, sorry, we were talking about grief and you go through um, a grieving process of losing your coworkers because a lot of people in their life, their friends are their coworkers, right? Or at least some, some mm. semblance of that. So I'm curious in your talks and in your work and in your interviews and experience, what happens to folks when they go through a job loss in losing that kind of group that, that they sort of had built around them with their career? Um, have you talked with anyone about that and, and seen sort of the effect of losing a large group of people that maybe you were comfortable around or had that sort of sense of security around? Yeah, I mean, I think this came up a lot during the pandemic of people, you know, not realizing how maybe they took much they took for granted kind of the, the social support in their life and even weak ties, you know, weak ties are kind of people that maybe your coworkers, they're not maybe your best friend, they maybe aren't going to be at your wedding, but they're people that you see on a regular basis, and you go have coffee with have lunch with have these moments with and you actually are really important <laughs> from the science to living a healthy and happy life. Um, and I think a lot of people didn't realize how much they, you know, enjoyed those moments of chatting with their barista or, you know, the, the bus driver or seeing other people on their commute or kind of having those regulars in their life. And I'll speak for myself and just that, you know, as a public speaker, you know, last spring of losing my entire business and my entire kind of calendar, both in terms of income, right? So there's like the financial loss there but also the identity loss of as a public speaker and I travel and 
you know, that's part of how I gained meaning and how I had self-worth of being able to go to these places and meet people and be in a room with other people and inspire other people. Um, when you lose that seemingly overnight, it's really hard, you know, and I had a lot of conversations. I actually, you know, got started to be in therapy partly because of this, uh, of feeling this, you know, wait, who am I if I don't have this anymore? Who am I if I'm not getting on a plane? Who am I if I don't have these uh, experiences, engagements that have really defined my life for the past eight years? Um, and I think it's really challenging. I don't think that there's a lot of kind of spaces to talk about it. I think it was really kind of actually beautiful that in many ways, technology did play a role in having people, giving people the space to have these conversations and come together and say, oh, I'm experiencing that too. You know, I got together a group of folks last spring that were all, all authors working on their books during the pandemic, this author support group. And that was a really beautiful thing because writing a book is really hard. It's something that almost everyone does alone. It's nearly impossible to do alone, but everyone does alone. And we got together once a week to kind of talk about our book writing process and to share resources. And I was kind of giving some, some advice from my experience and we were having expert guest speakers every week. But just that was really huge for people to kind of go through the experience with somebody else and maybe was a reminder of when virtual and tech uh, kind of technology can be a good thing, can actually be very meaningful of providing that space that, you know, we couldn't have during the pandemic. So maybe that there was a silver lining in some of this of realizing maybe what we were taking granted before in person, because I think there's nothing that replaces the in-person connection but realizing, whoa, when virtual is at its best, it can actually really be used to facilitate this kind of this sense of belonging or uh, connection across boundaries and across space and time. Um, and I know that that was really important for me to start having those conversations with other speakers, right? I connected more with other speakers this past year during the pandemic than I had ever before. Now, why wasn't I having those conversations with other speakers when our business was thriving? Well, probably because we were all you know, <laughs> self-focused and speaking and on the road. But those conversations I had this year were extremely valuable. Those conversations with other writers and authors were extremely valuable. So I hope that maybe a lesson from this experience this past year is that everyone's feeling a little bit lonely. We all need each other. And maybe we will remember that moving forward and, and, and really not take that for granted. Um, and build structures of support and accountability community moving forward. But whether it's virtual, in-person, hybrid, doesn't really matter as much as the fact that like that's part of how we go about our businesses and our kind of lives. Yeah. And I, it's interesting that you're hitting on this like shared struggle piece, right? Mm. Um, I think so often we form friendships during really tough times in our lives, whether it's a... Uh, yeah whether it's a planned tough time like college or something like that, right? You're going through these four, these crazy four years together, or it's um, sort of, you know, families come together through tough times, like people bond through tough moments. And um, I think that's where the pandemic has brought a lot of people together in that way. Do you think that that's, I mean, there's lots of ways to build ties with people, but what, what are your thoughts on like, going through difficult situations together and that impact on loneliness and connection and things like that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, 
there, you know, there's all, Rebecca Solnit wrote a book about this, about kind of ho hope in the dark and people coming together in these times of kind of crisis and, you know, whether it's a hurricane or a natural disaster. Um, now, you know, I think that, you know, one of the reasons that is, is because it's, you know, a shared bond over struggle, right? I mean, I think, you know, if you have a shared experience with someone uh, and you have a shared story or shared identity, you know, you have the kind of conditions for belonging and, and, and being in this together and feeling that, that bond that really can't be replicated. And it's really hard to have now in kind of our society, which is very fragmented and, you know, where most people, you know, two thirds of Americans are lonely. The average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. I mean, I think part of that is due to kind of, you know, we don't have these kind of local structures of belonging and connection, right? That maybe we had back in the day through kind of neighborhood centers or a church or community centers. And, you know, we living increasingly, people are getting married later or having children at a later age or having less children living farther and farther away from their families and their loved ones and moving away. Um, there's a lot of kind of factors here, but I think that, you know, you're, you're exactly right. I do think that the pandemic is an example of, you know, well, both things, both <laughs> many people coming together out of like kind of a shared trauma, shared experience, shared struggle, and also, you know, the division that kind of has happened um, in the United States and actually throughout the world in terms of kind of, whether it's politics and some people not taking it seriously, it kind of exposed that we can come together and also that maybe some people can't. Um, so I think it kind of brought to light some of the inequities that were pretty present in, in our culture. Um, I mean, I do think that, you know, one thing that's been really interesting for me is to kind of see, you know, that it's a lot easier for people to talk about loneliness after this experience, that it was a little bit more of a stigma. It was a little bit of something that was um, kind of not normalized. You know, when I was pitching this book right before, um, it, was, it was early 2020, so right before the pandemic, the publisher didn't want to have loneliness in the title. Mm. They were like, oh, we really love this book about friendship. Um, it's a great topic, great idea, but we don't, we might want to change the title so that loneliness is in the, in the title. And I was like, well, you know, it's really important that loneliness is in the title. Like that's what I'm experiencing, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing. And they were like, well, you know, people don't want to admit that they're lonely. No one wants to buy a book that says loneliness because they're going to be like, well, that means I'm lonely. And I said, well, I am lonely. That's why I wrote the book. Right. And so are two thirds of Americans, right. That's data from 2019, right. Mm -hmm. It's not something that just happened. That's been an epidemic both in the U S and globally for many years. And then a month later, or two months later, when, you know, COVID was raging, and we were in lockdown, they're like, okay, we can keep the title, <laughs> which is really interesting, you know, that it actually took a pandemic for there to be kind of a normalization of realizing, wait, we're all going through this, many of us feel alone, even though many of us were feeling alone, prior to the pandemic prior to social isolation and lockdown measures. But now we can talk about it more openly. So there's this something that comes up in the disaster where it's like, okay, now we're talking about it as if we weren't interconnected before yeah. the disaster, before the struggle, we are, that's kind of called humanity. Like our fates are intertwined. There's a finite number of resources on this planet. Climate change affects everyone, you know, 
the actions of one nation or place affect what happens somewhere else. And we're only going to survive as a people <laughs> if we work together, but it takes a disaster or it takes something for it to become, for us to have like a language and a shared narrative around it, um, which is really interesting. So I, again, silver lining hope that now with the pandemic, people kind of say, Ooh, like friendship's really important. It's like friendship's always been important. <laughs> it just took a year of not being able to see your friends or being able to celebrate with your friends in the same way that we're used to, to really kind of have that, to own that. And it could be the externalization of it and like the guilt behind it, right? I think prior to a pandemic, a lot of people said, well, I feel lonely, but like, who am I to feel lonely? Like, who am I to deserve to feel this emotion, right? Um, when there's nothing in my life that necessarily is forcing me to be lonely, except for anxiety or whatever else we might be going through. But then a pandemic happens and it externalizes it, right? It, it goes, well, I'm lonely because we all went through this pandemic and therefore I can address it a little bit less guiltily or a little bit less personally because it's like, well, if everyone's feeling this way, and I think that's a big thing that you're trying to destigmatize too, which is everyone feels this way at some point. Like this isn't a unique thing to one person. This is something that everyone experiences. So it's okay to open up about it. And I've seen more people be open to therapy and to these topics since the pandemic, because yes. before they were like, who am I to, to deserve to go to therapy? Like I need to have my life in shambles to go to therapy, right? I need everything falling apart. I need my marriage to be un, like, I need to be able to not come back from this fight to be able to go to right. therapy kind of a thing versus like, oh wait, no, we, you can take care of these things when they're low level, when they're just kind of under the surface, when they're small problems, creeping up, right? And I think a big thing that you're talking about here is like, don't wait till you have zero friends to start thinking about your friends, right? Um, start addressing right. these things earlier. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, that was for me, it was like, I kind of thought, you know, therapy was something reserved for, oh, you have to be depressed, or you have to have some, you know, everything's in chaos, or things are rock bottom, right? or you're, you're, you, your doctor tells you, you must go see a therapist or, you know, couples therapy, we're going to get divorced or something. We got to go to, you know, but it's this idea of kind of doing this proactive, you know, sense of doing things so that you to, to stay well, <laughs> to promote your mental health. And again, the same thing with the loneliness, the conversation around mental health and mental illness has completely changed in the past year. And we're talking about, of course, it took a pandemic for it to happen but we're talking about all of these things that we weren't talking about a year ago. So again, maybe a silver lining uh, of kind of realizing how many people were suffering from stress and anxiety, even though many, many people were doing struggling with those things before. Same thing with, with the workplace stuff, right? Employee burnout was, was skyrocketing prior to the pandemic, right? 70% of the millennials experience burnout. 30% uh, are always burned out again, data from before, you know, the way we work changed and people went fully to mostly fully to remote work. Um, it, 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 there's kind of been an opening around being able to talk about this stuff. Um, I'm hoping that leads to kind of sustain change and policy changes and kind of changes in, in how we think about our work and how we approach our work. Um, but we'll, that kind of remains to be seen. 
what kind of changes would you want to see if you had you know magic wand and all that good stuff yeah i mean i think that we need to kind of put human connection a little bit more at kind of the center of how we live and how we work um and take away kind of the metrics that we're usually kind of basing our work around which are usually growth and scale and you know customer acquisition and you know productivity and all of these things and 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 kind of switch the knob a little bit back to how how are people doing both the people that work for our company and the people that we you know influence with our with our company with our product with our organization you know what are we doing proactively to kind of promote wellness in the world and promote health and well-being in the world um you know, I think we're, we're kind of, you know, not just how do we work, but how do we help people not work, right? Or how to help we help our employees go home or stop working, which becomes ever more important in this kind of digital landscape where kind of work just bleeds into life. Um, and we don't have easy ways for people to kind of turn off or recharge or, you know, because they're, if they're home and they're just kind of online, they're kind of always online. Um building more avenues for people to build kind of healthy social relationships at the, at the workplace, I think is really important. Um, and build those kind of friendships and connection. Cause we know that employees who have a best friend at work are seven times more engaged with their work. They're generally just do better at their jobs and are happier <laughs> in their lives, which makes total sense. Um, but is not something that traditionally the workplace is focused on very much. It's kind of like you do your work and then when you go home or you have, you can do whatever you want. Um, but now people are kind of expecting and wanting to be able to build, you know, real friendships and real relationships and have that not just professional experience, but personal experience and being able to kind of bring a little bit more of their full selves to their workplace. But that's not what the traditional workplace is really set up for. Um, and that those boundaries are starting to blur a little bit. And it's complicated because not everyone wants that too. So it's a little bit of like a challenge, um, but I'm glad that the conversations are happening. And I'm glad that kind of the shift, we're talking not just about kind of KPIs and OKRs and these key indicators and the numbers and you know annual reports, but we're talking about people because well, <laughs> people make up organizations and companies and that's what really this is all about. So. Um, I think that they're good conversations to be having. Um, and I'm excited to see kind of how things shake out. But, you know, as someone that fundamentally believes that, you know, and the science shows that the key to a, like, the key to a healthy, the, a healthy and happy life is social relationships, that that's something that we need to talk about at work too, because we spend at least a third of our lives, if not more, working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. So that's not something that's just something on the weekends or just something, you know, uh, you know, after work, it's all the time. So if the data is showing that, you know, the healthiest people at the age of 80, you know, are, are the, have the healthiest social relationships at the age of 50, how do we build, you know, containers and structures in the workplace where people can build those healthy relationships? And you're you know, it's on. not just going to happen because, you know, the desks are close or they're not close, like, or there's a ping pong table or there's kombucha or beer or micro beer, or cold brew, like all that stuff is kind of crap. It's, it's creating a culture where people can be safe, can be seen and heard, you know, can actually authentically connect on a regular basis. 
Yeah. And it's becoming more and more important because like you said earlier, um, we're sort of not as focused in the modern day on those traditional, um, you know, structures, you know, the religious structures, the community structures, you know, I think back to the stories of how my grandparents met or how my parents met, you know, my grandparents met uh, at like a dance in their community center, you know, uh, my parents met at a Friday's, which is hilarious. Um, and I even look at my own relationships. It's like, I tried online dating for many years, but I ended up with someone who I traveled uh, in this travel group with. And like those, we're, we're almost trying to reinvent community in a lot of ways. And work tends to be the biggest community that people have. And so it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of different types of relationships that people form. And I wanted to chat with you about this a little bit. You know, there's, there's acquaintances, there's work best friends, there's, you know, the phrase work husband and work wife, right? There's mentors, managers, coworkers, colleagues, there's all these different types of relationships. And I think people get confused or worked up or something around what kind of a relationship am I building, especially when I'm talking to people about networking. Um, they get really confused because they're like, well, I can't reach out to that person because I don't want to be a burden. I can't, I can't mm. ask for these things because I don't want to bother people. Um, and there, there's a lot of confusion and worry wrapped up in that. Um, and I think we try to define what a relationship is before we even have the conversation and get to know the person. I'm curious, what sort of um, experiences have you had or people have you talked to where you've maybe seen that come up and how have they dealt with it? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I, um, I explicitly like didn't run or write a book about networking because <laughs> I think that like what I'm going, a lot of the books in the kind of relationship space and especially related to the workplace are kind of focused on, you know, like the how to win friends and influence people or kind of how to kind of connect with people so that they are going to invest in your company yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. or follow you on Instagram. And that's really, you know, I, this, this book is about, I, I hope, uh, and my intention is for it to be about something deeper, which is, you know, really about friendship and authentic connection. Um, so, you know, I, I quote a, a friend of mine, Raman in the book, and he, he says, friendship is not an on-demand tap. It's a reciprocal intention. So it's kind of this sense that like, I think we sometimes walk through the world, like just being like, you know, the kind of, all right, give me the tap, you know, like more beer, more cold brew, more kombucha, you know, and networking, we approach that. Here's my business card and da -da -da -da, here's my one line pitch. Here's my elevator pitch and da -da 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 -da, you know, and, and that friendship and kind of connection or a deeper connection is a little bit less of that and more just creating the space to actually just be present with somebody or listen or ask questions and not actually even know what you're going for. You know, the intention is that you're going to connect, but you might not know. <laughs> you might not know if you're going to be work husbands, work wives, best, you know, build a company together, but you're just creating the space to just kick it. Right. Or say like, okay, what album are you listening to? Or like, you know, what do you, what show did you binge on Netflix recently? Or like, what's, what have you been journaling about? What's keeping you up at night? You know, what are you focused on right now? What, um, you know, what are you interested in right now? Are you, you know, what, what kind of major questions 
are, are, do you have? Um, that type of thing. So not actually knowing the answer, right? Or knowing the container. I think like networking has become this thing where it's like, what's your, you know, what's your, um, what's your goal for the interaction? Like, how can you optimize so that people, how does it convert, mm-hmm. right? To a sales thing or to a, get someone to sign up for your program or become a coaching client or whatever. And it's just like, okay, like, great. But, you know, I guarantee you that not only will you have deeper connections if you let go of that, that those kind of that agenda, right? Losing the agenda. You'll have, not only we have deeper connections, you'll probably be more successful at actually quote unquote networking. <laughs> like you'll get your goal achieved if you let go of it. Meaning someone, if you actually do want someone to invest in your company, if you actually are looking for a new job, if you actually do want people to share your posts on Instagram or to buy your work or buy your product, you're probably better off just getting to know them for that to happen than actually being like, how can I strategically make sure that someone, <laughs> you know, does this, right? Um, it's it's a little bit of like re-engineering it a little bit. I, I think that I know that I'm much more likely to help someone if I get to know them or if I figure out who they are, if I get to just kind of think that they're a good person and see what they're all about, I'm going to connect them with someone, right? I'm going to, you know, help them get a job. I'm going to do all of those things, but not first. Um, so I think it's a little bit about slowing down and kind of re resetting um, in, into kind of what matters most when what matters most is a little bit more of the personal connection. Um, and it is a little bit more of, you know, getting to know someone, hearing their story, listening, being curious, uh, asking more questions, asking more interesting questions, you know, than the typical kind of what do you do? Where do you work? Where do you live? Um, Going a a level deeper. Um, And of course, we're not always available for those conversations. That's okay. I get that. Um, And there is, you know, there is a utility for networking. I know, you know, we all do it. But I just think that, um a lot of people are searching for something a little bit different um, and want something deeper. And, you know, even if you're at a actual conference, I mean, none of us have been at (laughs) in-person conferences most likely in a while, but um, when we go back to that space, or even if we're doing it virtually to just take the time to try out doing something a little bit different than you normally do and seeing what happens, I think is a great experiment. Oh yeah. And I love what you're hitting on here. Cause that it, it, when I'm coaching folks and they start talking about networking, first of all, everyone dislikes the term, right? No one wants to do it. And then I'm like, well, think about it more as like nerding out instead of networking, like don't have yeah. the goal of the job in mind. Don't put that front and center. Cause that will always make everyone feel really like it. I always equate it to like the first message on Tinder being, will you marry me? It's like not the best first message. (laughs) And I think it's so interesting because we are, I like that you use the word re-engineering because we are taught, literally taught to do the opposite. When I was in college, I took a class on communications and networking and all that kind of stuff in, in my marketing work. And one of the things they did was they put on this fake networking event when they brought in companies, I guess it was technically a real networking event, but it was, it was for practice. And they said, your goal here is to get 10 business cards by the end of the event. That oh. was the goal. And so what everyone did, because no one actually wanted to go have an awkward conversation, was they just went around and picked cards off tables 
trying sure. to avoid a conversation and then, you know, went and hit out in the escalator <laughs> bay or something like that. And I'm like, we were literally taught the wrong way to do this. And you're using this word re-engineer and you, you're putting this book together with practical tips because I do think a lot of us are not um, brought up with the right mindsets around these things. And I think it's why as we get older, it becomes more and more difficult to make friends, more and more difficult to understand who's a good friend and who's not and where good boundaries are to set. You know, a lot of times people are too open with people at work that they shouldn't be, or they're not open enough with people that they could be. And there's just so much confusion there. Um, when it comes to like that re-engineering, what are some practical things that maybe you've done personally or that folks could do to rewire their brain around these things. So yeah, like if like, like you're telling that story, the networking one, it seems like that seems like the last place you want to be or anyone wants to be like that room with those tables with the cards. It's just like, not fun. So I would say that trying new things and going to things that you actually want to do would be like the biggest, the biggest thing. So you're actually, you know, you, you, you mentioned the, the phrase nerding out, which I love, but like you are doing creative projects or you are going to a meetup that is all, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and you're super into that or like designers and geeks or video games, whatever it is, right? Like I had the author group for other people writing their books. Maybe it's a book club. Maybe it's a salsa dancing class. Maybe it's a, um, you know, whatever, cooking club, whatever, you are going to things or trying things that you are naturally interested in so that like you are probably just networking without realizing you're networking. You're just kicking it with people and hanging out and having fun playing, which I guarantee you is going to be beneficial to your life. Um, so I would say that kind of like thinking about the space, like no, no one... It's like dating. It's actually quite similar to dating. Like when, if you go to a, and I've done, I had, you know, when I wasn't in a relationship, I had gone to like singles events. And sometimes you go to these events and I knew I was, I'm not in the right mindset for this. I don't want to be here. Who's going to want to date me if I'm going around being like, yeah, I'm single. Like, hi, how are you? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you into? And it's just like, would I want to date me? No, I come off like a horrible person. I'm, I'm bored. I'm uninterested. I don't want to be there. I'm, I'm, I feel, um, you know, lack of, I don't have confidence. I'm just like there because someone told me to, or I feel like I need to do that. So that's the last place you should be, right? Where I should really just be going to an event of other people interested in, in something else and in, in something I'm interested in, right? And I'm more likely to actually meet someone there. So, the, you know, I think it's similar. I think it's similar. I, I, I say in the book, you know, try new things. Um, ask, ask more interesting questions, but I think, you know, swim in a creative container would mm -hmm. be another one. Uh, if you think about it, you know, if I think back of people that I've met that I've bonded with, you know, you mentioned kind of coming out of a, of crisis or struggle as one, I think is a big piece shared experiences like travel, you know, whether it's study abroad or being on a trip together, because sometimes that leads to crisis or like, oh my God, you missed the bus or you don't speak the language or it's a, it's a hurricane and you got to figure out where to stay or you're lost or, you know, you know, going on a, a big hiking trip and, you know, you can't find the trail or you don't, you don't something happened and you, you're out of gas for your stove. That type of stuff is really bonding, but also creative projects where you're doing something with other people because the creative process is challenging. It leads to 
roadblocks, all the fear, overcoming fear comes up. Um, you know, I, I used to work in the film industry uh, after I graduated college and I was in New York and, you know, you'd be on these projects together and they were so intense, you know, two months of like seeing someone for 16, 18 hours a day together. And like, by the end of it, you know, you, you built these bonds with people because you're working on a creative project together and it's, it's special and you're making art together and you're in the struggle together. So I think those kind of environments are really ripe for, um, for connection. And they're one of the reasons why I believe that the office is so important, even as we move to the remote hybrid universe, which is gonna be somewhat of a factor of work probably for that forever of, of some kind, that like having those moments of uh, in-person, you know, collaboration, creativity, ideation, disagreement, just working on things together is fundamental to the human experience. Um, it's not to say that it can't happen virtually, it definitely can, but it's, I think, happens in much more prof profound ways when people share space together. It really um, is different, yeah. Yeah, and you can kind of have the body language, you can kind of experience things together, you have all of these moments of going through the ups and downs and, you know, people that have worked on a play together or a movie together or an art piece or a book or a, designing a product being in a startup, like can all kind of probably, you know, have that experience, can share what it's like to be in the environment with other people. You can't really replicate that, um, which I think is why it's so great what you're doing in terms of bringing people together um, for career change. I mean, you know, we we're, I think we make the assumption, the wrong assumption that we have to go through all these experiences alone, you know, or that other people aren't going through the same things, but I guarantee you whatever you're going through or whatever you're building or focused on, other people out there focus on similar things and to put yourself in a room or a virtual room with them is incredibly, incredibly powerful and useful. That's the number one thing that every single time I do a meetup, people leave going, I'm just glad I'm not the only one going through this. Like that's the number one mm. thing. And it's something that wasn't as easy to replicate in a virtual environment. I was doing meetups on Zoom for quite some time at the beginning of the pandemic and the attendance slowly dropped down more and more because it lacked that, um, you know, people had a camera on their face so they were less uh, open and they were less connected. And, you know, when we were in person we would literally be dragging chairs from around the Chicago Athletic Association and like everyone would be like almost sitting on top of each other basically. And it really, it does, the, the context of things really does matter too. And I like that you're focused on this piece of play because I had someone um, years ago that I was coaching and, uh, you know, I was kind of talking about these same things and he comes up to me one day and he goes, you know, I, I, I was listening to what you're saying and, and I just threw out in my clash of clans Slack group that I'm looking for a job. And I was like, I never would have thought there is such a thing as a clash of clans Slack group. <laughs> and like that led to people getting together at a bar and led to conversations and like networking and all this great awesome. stuff. And I, I think that that idea of play is just so important. And when yeah. we think about it, when we think about creating together, playing together, I think it it sort of can maybe make people feel a little bit behind. You know, I, I always worry that people are like, well, I'm over here where I don't even know how to send that email. And you want me to be over here where I'm like literally creating projects with people. And there's this big gap in between. And, 
you know, there's this big sort of world of small talk that people have to deal with that like kind of is in between those two things. Um, and I remember early on when I was in my career and a buddy in, of mine and I, we were like, gosh, we really hate small talk. We've been doing this for years. It's not, it's not what we enjoy. We want to have deep conversations. So we started putting on events and asking these like crazy questions, like what's a time that music defined your identity, like what you wore. And then why did that change? Mm. And like people started having those conversations like, oh, I was a punk kid and then I got yeah. a job and I had to take the gauges out and like all that kind of stuff. And I That's know you, you focus on questions a lot. So for anyone who's like, you know, I'm, I don't want to say small talk is good or bad, um, but what are maybe some of the ways that folks can approach small talk and more fun questions to bring that sense of play into their connections in their in their world? I think, you know, I think having one or two questions that you just enjoy asking people that you just meet kind of takes the pressure off, you know, so that it's like, you know, that you have good questions, you know, you're actually interested genuinely in these questions. And it also doesn't feel like, what should I say? What should I say? What should I say? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I got to come up with something on the spot. Oh my God. I'm freezing. I'm frozen. You know? So just having a few of like, having a go-to what's what's the last album you know one of my favorites is like what's the last album you listened to the whole way through you know and sometimes for people are like man i haven't listened to an album and you know while. What was yours? Just, mine most recently would be the uh black pumas do you know them i don't black now P i want to check it out oh, great album black pumas self-titled the album's called black pumas they're uh kind of like psychedelic rock soul they're based, I think they're from Texas, from Austin. They're awesome. Oh, definitely they have one album. Out. Sounds so amazing. Good. Mine was it's Bo so Burnham's Inside. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. Did you see it? Did you? That, but, that's a com but that's comedy. That's a, that's, that's, I guess it's an album. It's a comedy album. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It okay. is an oh, I just watched that of... two weeks, last week or two weeks ago. Yeah. It was great. What were your thoughts on it? Cause I mean, that is all about isolation and, and loneliness in a way. Um, did you have any like reactions to it? I mean, I thought it was a really kind of beautiful portrayal of the creative process. <laughs> um, I thought it was also kind of, yeah, it felt like very timely in terms of just showing what it was like for so many moments of quarantine and just feeling stuck. And yeah, um, it was dark. It was dark, but also very funny. Yeah. And I think <laughs> it did highlight, uh, you know, it struck a nerve at least in kind of what we're talking about here, which is people having a conversation around these topics. Right. Yeah. Um, and really fostering that in a way, because, um, Whereas, you know, maybe in previous years, we would feel these things, but we wouldn't voice them. Now we're getting right. that chance to voice them. Um, what are maybe some healthy ways that people can start leaning into these feelings um, in, in positive ways to use it as a way to sort of spark creativity and spark connection rather than to withdraw more. Cause I do sometimes see that with folks who are feeling a little bit isolated, feeling a little bit lonely. Sometimes they double down on that feeling um, right. and withdraw even more. What, what would you say to some folks who are withdrawing at this time? Yeah, I mean, I would say, first of all, know that you're not alone <laughs> and that it's a really hard time. And that, um, you know, again, I just come back to the data of nearly two thirds of Americans feel lonely. Um, 
that's two thirds is a lot of people. Um, and especially for young adults and, and parents and working parents, the, these numbers have really skyrocketed in the last year. Um, so just, I think just knowing that it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> um, this is something that many, if not most people experience. Um, and to just, I, I, I like to kind of think of the, to just do a little bit of a baseline of, you know, who are the people in your life that you really care about? And kind of start there because I think a lot of times we're starting with like I wish I had more friends or I wish I was invited to all of these things or I wish you know all of these things were different and we don't really kind of start with like who who do we have and who are we excited about or even just putting you know I have an exercise in the book of making a friend map yeah and just listing a few people that are out there that you consider your people that you're excited about even if you haven't talked to them in a while um, is a really powerful exercise just to say, well, I actually have some people in my life I like, and maybe even, okay, there's a lot of people that I just haven't reconnected with in a while. And that might be a great place to start. Um, and I think that there's a little bit of a powerful exercise there and just kind of like acknowledging, you know, and just to think, oh, if these people were to do this for you too, and then reach out and say, hey, I care about you as a friend, or I wish I got to see you more, like, when can we hang out? Or when can we have a, you know, FaceTime I think the world would just generally be a more, uh, we would all be a little bit doing a little bit better if we had that rather than kind of coming into it from a place of lack, right? Like what do we already have? Um, and what are we looking for? Like what, you know, what, what's missing, right? And being able to kind of know that and articulate that and kind of say, okay, you know, I have friends, a lot of friends, maybe I feel like some of these are surface level relationships and I'd like more time to go deeper with a few of these people? Who do I want to go deeper with? How can I make that happen? Um, I think that there isn't a little bit of an element of, you know, what I, what I write around the book that there's, you kind of have to be a little bit proactive. You know, it's really hard to just kind of sit back and say like, I want more friendship in my life. It's going to come to me or people are going to reach out to me. I want to believe that that's the case, but it's often not right. Mm -hmm. We kind of have to make the first move in the same way with dating, right? In the same way with anything in the world, with getting a new job or building a business or, or making a change, like it kind of starts with us. Um, we have to kind of say, hey, here's what I'm going for. How can I make that happen? Um, even if it's like, oh, I'm gonna wait. That person hasn't reached out to me in a year. I'm waiting for them. Like it's in the balls in their court, right? We say that all the time, like their move. If you really care about them and they're important to you, just reach out to them, who cares, you know? Like no one's keeping score, you know, of like who said what, like who yeah. reached out to who when, like it's their turn. Like I reached out the last time, like, okay, fine. You know, you know, like, it's not like there's going to be like a report in ESPN about right. like, you know, how many people, who, who initiated each, how many people initiated, who initiated more, who initiated more often. Just let someone know you care about them, reach out to them, make the move you know, I, more, more of us doing that, I think is, is, is important. And it's, you know, I call it like investing in friendship. It's, it's, it is an investment. Unfortunately, we spend a lot more of our time investing in our social media profiles or investing in, you know, these other metrics that society has deemed quote unquote important, or that we assume to be important and less time just investing in the actual people in our lives. Um, I'd like, I, I want that to change, or I would love to live in a world where that wasn't the case. Um, but I do think, you know, you have to make that time investment, that energy investment, that kind of, 
you know, having a few people that you say, okay, this month, my goal is to reconnect with these people, you know, starting small would be a really good, another kind of mantra I have around this, you know, again, it's not, that's it. You know, I'm, you know, I, I want to redo all the friendships in my life. Okay. You know, that's a big <laughs> grand, grand statement. You know, what does it look like to just share gratitude with a couple people in your life this week or this month? Like, what would that look like for you? What would it look like to add one friendship ritual to your, to your life? Maybe it's a, a, a hike with your buddies. Maybe it's a, a, a monthly dinner party. Maybe it's, you know, um, creating a new, um, a month, uh, an activity club with, with people, maybe even people you don't know, maybe you just moved to a new city and you're starting a meetup group around something that you care about, or maybe you're going to make a goal to connect with one stranger in the next month. Like what are these like little baby steps that you can take so that it becomes a little bit less overwhelming? Yeah. And people should definitely check out your book to see more of the rituals that you did with like the postcards and things like that. I really love the, the suggestions you give. And I like your idea of smart starting small too, because um, this is actually a lot of what you talk about is stuff that I've gone through in my, in my twenties as well, where, you know, you move around, people move all over the country, you kind of get disconnected. Right. And you have to sort of reform the bonds and ask yourself, who do I want to reach back out to? How do I want to reach back out to them? And I like what you said about just showing gratitude, right? Like one of the things I think that prevents people from reaching out is they, or at least pre-pandemic, they're like, well, if I reach out, then I'm going to end up meeting up with that person. I don't have time to meet up with that person. I'm so busy and uh -huh. stuff, stuff, right? And then it's like, and that prevents, I know that uh, like this actually happened to me with my my grandfather when I years ago, where every time I would just call him to see how things are going, he'd be like, let's get lunch. And then I'd have to go to the suburbs. And then it was like a whole thing. And so um, what I ended up doing was just sending people messages saying, hey, hope you're doing well, miss you. Like just really yeah. simple, no expectation, not even an expectation of a response. And it completely changes. They go, oh, okay, wait a second. Now we can like have less intense, like we can have more small connections that lead to bigger connections rather than like, it has to be a big party or something every single time. Um, and one of the things that I think is so interesting where you talked about the, the map of friends where you actually have a physical map and you see where everyone is in the country and in the world. Um, I did this weird exercise years ago where I looked at it as like the planet. There's like the core of the planet, the magma, the crust, the outer crust, and then outer space. I and like that. outer space is like X's I never want to talk to yeah. again. Um, yeah. But I, I, I put everyone into that list. I like downloaded all my contacts from I don't know, Facebook or LinkedIn or something. And then one of my friends like, that's a little bit psychotic. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's a bit much. <laughs> but I at least gave it a shot to see like, who am I close with? And, you know, I only got like 30 people into the list before it was like too many people to manage. I think that's the Dunbar number, right? Um, of 150 right. people, but like- 150. Yeah, it did kind of say like, well, who, who should I reach out to? on a weekly basis? Who should I reach out to on a monthly basis? Like, if I'm going to try and do this, I need some sort of strategy. Otherwise, it's completely overwhelming, right? And I like that you have all these strategies around it. Um, if someone were starting to feel really overwhelmed by the idea of starting to reach out to people, whether it's family, friends, coworkers, past coworkers, what are maybe some things that they can start doing to really think through this in a way that doesn't paralyze them, right? The paralysis of overwhelm that comes from like, okay, I'm going to go to LinkedIn and look at my friends list, or I'm going to go to Facebook and look at my friends list. And now I'm completely stuck. 
what, how can they get unstuck? Yeah. Um, I would, I, I mean, one of the things that kept coming up in the book for me was with research and talking to people was people want to go deep, not wide. They're looking for quality, not quantity. So I would say instead of kind of starting with just like all of the thousands of people that maybe you've connected with or hundreds of people, just who are a few people that you really want to go deep with and starting there and putting those names on a post-it. So I'd say like starting kind of at the inner circle um, of like, who are your, your best friends, your close friends, uh, people that, you know, you, you really want to get go, go, go closer with and kind of just know who those people are, know who those people in your, your circle are, uh, would be a great, would be a great way to start. Um, I think correspondence is, a, is another one. Uh, of of reaching it back out to people, whatever that way you do that is, I think everyone's different. Maybe it's letters or postcards or video message or audio messages. It doesn't really matter. Um, I like your idea of just sending a note of just sending love, wanted to send, you know, notes of being awesome or kind of notes of gratitude or whatever it is as just a great way to reconnect. Um, but I would all, you know, I also think that, um, you know, another another thing, you know, for me, it's picking up the phone and calling people, you, you know, you maybe mentioned not wanting to necessarily go out to the suburbs to have lunch with your, your grandfather, but I like to just pick up the phone and call people. Cause it's like, they're on my mind. I pick it up. They probably don't pick up. So I leave a message. And if they pick up, we have a conversation and maybe it doesn't have to be three hours. It could just be like, a, you know, Hey, I was calling to let you know, I have 15 minutes, but I just wanted to check in with you. I think it's a great place to start. Um, you know, another, another way to, you know, I think like people think often they don't have time for this, but I would say like, you do have time. <laughs> You're probably spending it on social media or, you know, on Netflix or, or something, doing something else that maybe isn't really what you want to be doing, or maybe it is, but maybe it's not as valuable as reconnecting with others. Um, and also just necessarily kind of maybe starting in your community just like the people that you live near. Um, like, have you met a couple of your neighbors, right? Or have you talked to someone that serves you food or that, you know, um, or that you buy your groceries from or that, you know, is part of your day-to-day -day kind of the people you see on a regular basis is just a great place to start. Um, so yeah, I kind of making it a little bit more accessible and making it kind of more like what is a day-to-day -day practice around this look like less around like reimagining your entire existence in life um that's not my goal my goal is just you know like I, I often say you know even if you just take away from this book that you want to spend more time with your friends or there's one or two friends that you want to reconnect with I've done that that to me is worth it like that I've done my job or I hope that that like that's an achievement for this this project um it's not to kind of change the world everyone always wants to change the world you know okay fine I'm not sure what that means I just want to make people put friendship a little bit value friendship a little bit more put friendship more at the center of their lives um and you know there you can do that in a variety of ways but I think honestly, one action or one kind of, um, even just having it as like in the back of your head, I think is a win. You know, that's enough. Mm -hmm. I think that people forget that. I think that we're oftentimes we have to do 
you know, make these big, big, grandiose changes and change our whole workflow and change our morning routine and our morning ritual and, you know, become someone that meditates or become someone that uses a Peloton or all these major <laughs> life, you know, realigns, you know, because some company wants our money. I'm not asking for that. I'm just kind of saying, you know, I think it's enough to, to, to value your friend more, right? Or to spend a little bit more time with a friend or connect with an old friend or make an effort to meet some new people or reach out to a colleague that you've never talked to at work that you're like, yeah, we've never really connected. I don't know, maybe I think they're kind of weird. Just reach out to them, schedule a one-on-one, -on -one. talk to them. The chances are they feel the same way, especially you know, if you now there's so many people that have probably joined companies and, and teams this year that haven't met any of their colleagues in real life. Can you imagine how hard it is to start a new job where you've never even like gone to the office to sign your paperwork? Mm -hmm. You've never even like shook someone's hand that's your supervisor or your colleague or that you like slack with every day. That's such an awkward thing. Yeah. That's so inhuman, not un inhumane or, yeah. un <laughs> or not, 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 it's just, that feels very robotic to me. It feels very mechanical. It doesn't feel healthy. Yeah. So like to actually just say like, Hey, like every time we have a new hire and there's someone that I interact with or even don't interact with, I'm just going to like reach out and say, what up? And it's really important to build personal, your personal life. If you are remote, right? Like, I think that's one of the, I've been remote for years now and I haven't met anyone that I work with in years. And I think that that is such an interesting thing because you're right, it is disconnected. I don't feel as part of the team. I don't feel those things. And so I've had to double down on my personal relationships in order to um, not feel so isolated and so disconnected. And, and I think one of the things I, I could talk to you all day, I've got a hundred other questions that we can't get to because I want to be mindful of your time. But um, one of the things that I think is maybe getting in the way right now for folks is the expectations that they put on their friends. And I, we sort of touched on this of like, well, they didn't reach out and I reached out and I'm always the one that reaches out, that kind of thing. But like agreeing with everything that your friends believe, right? Like that's a big thing that gets in the way, especially recently, right? And um, it's affecting families, it's affecting friendships. It's, it's, and I think that there's sort of like an idealization of friendship online that like in the Instagram photos of what friends look like versus what realistic friendship looks like. So I'm to sort of wrap up our conversation today, I'd love to just get your sense of like, what are the realistic expectations we should have of friendship as we try to, you know, continue to grow as individuals? Yeah. I mean, I think that my big, big picture answer is that friendship looks very different depending on, you know, for, for different people. Um, and that it's more, um, less like, you know, realistic or expectations is more just kind of what, what do you, uh, is a friend meeting your needs, right? And are you communicating that to them? And are you communicating well with somebody, right? And if, and maybe not everyone can meet every person's needs and that's okay. In the same way with a romantic partner, like we can't expect that, you know, one partner is going to meet all the needs that one, another human has when it comes to, you know, coaching, mentorship, inspiration, intimacy, you know, friendship, adventure buddies, you know, all of these things. What, what possible human could do that? What possible friend could do that for everyone, right? 
So it's more just if someone is explicitly not meeting your needs or not making you feel good or not adding value to your life or making you unwell or unhealthy or unsafe. Yes, these are huge things to talk about. So for me, it's a matter of communication. Um, but I do think, you know, the research kind of looks at like the definition of loneliness that, you know, one of the leading scholars on this, Julianne Holt Lundstad says is loneliness is the subjective perception of isolation. So it's the discrepancy between one's, the subjective gap, like between one's desired level of connection and actual level of connection. So that gap is where people feel lonely. They think, oh, I should be more connected or I want to be more connected or I'm missing this. And I think a big piece of this, especially for young people today, and frankly, everyone is the social media piece because everything looks so beautiful online and every friendship and everyone looks like they're always hanging out with their friends and looks like they're so happy and looks like they're so connected, but that's actually just not the case. The data shows that, right? So I'd focus less on, you know, what, what everyone else is looking like the comparison and more just like, what's really important to you? You know, what's, what are values in friends that you care about and communicating that to your friends, right? And talking about that rather than kind of going around being like, this doesn't meet my expectations. This doesn't meet my expectations. Um, Cause I'm not sure that that's, that's realistic. Um, you know, and I, I, I think that we're going to have different friends that fulfill different needs and that's, that's okay. Um, and maybe that's, that's, that's actually great. Um, but, you know, being able to have those conversations and having, um, being open and honest with each other, I think is kind of the, the basis for that. I love it. Yeah, this has been incredible. And I think it's a great starting point for folks who are just feeling that isolation and maybe feeling that anxiety as things start to open back up and we start getting into this hybrid life of in-person and online. Um, if folks want to find out more about you, Smiley, where should they go? Yeah, uh, you can check out my website, smileypazwalski.com, sign up for my newsletter. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the things. <laughs> and you can find my book uh, wherever you buy books, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.